This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you, joined by site publisher Tim Watts. And we are on the heels of Alabama's 41-24 to win over the Georgia Bulldogs on Saturday night at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Tim, as we bring you in here, a little different buzz, a little different vibe on that roundtable I've noticed, Tim, here in the last couple of days compared to, say, ago after that uh, harrowing win over the Ole Miss Rebels. Dude, I mean, I mean, this has been one of the craziest years ever. Um, I would watch like on the round table and Alabama's beating a top time, top 10 Texas A&M Aggie, uh, Texas A&M Aggie team pretty good. And a lot of our fans were upset with it. But I was looking around the rest of the nation and that win, 99.9% of most of the nation would, would accept wins like that. I mean, when you look up in North Carolina's losing – at Florida State, um, you know, it was a crazy year. One, because they lost at Florida State. And two, that North Carolina is actually in the top five. So we got some weird happenings going. But, yeah, the, the vibe's better. I mean, you know, really good game. I was excited. I didn't know what to expect, to be honest. With the defense show up, how would Stetson Bennett play against Alabama? How good was Georgia's defense? We knew they were very legit. We also knew Alabama's offense was very legit, so something had to give. I didn't anticipate a Alabama defensive effort and a Georgia offensive uh, outpouring. I mean, so really good game to watch. So much talent on the field, and, you know, we've been saying it for a year. Mac Jones, that guy's just different. You know, there's just something different about Mac Jones and surrounded by terrific skilled players. The offensive line did great. How they finished that game was about the way you draw it up. Just that watch. was like that was like 2 a.m. at the club, and you got some folks that don't want to go home in the fourth quarter, and the Alabama offensive line was like the bouncers, yeah. you know, getting everybody, getting everybody out the club like there. When that goes down, <laughs> and police are coming through with their horses, and all of a sudden, bourbon's just cleaned right out. That's what it was. I mean, they made that fourth quarter about literally 15 minutes long because they held the football for 11 plus minutes, just kept grinding out first downs. Georgia was ready to go home. You could tell, I mean, there's nothing worse than being three scores down. And now this team with this huge and talented offensive line is just going to push you around for the final quarter. He's as big as half the, you know, he's 230. Yeah. And Brian Robinson's 228. So it's not like you're catching a break. No, that's a rough stretch for Georgia. I'll say that. I mean, for them to catch Auburn, uh, Tennessee, and then Alabama, that's a rough little stretch there for those guys. And they they put up a they put up a good fight. And uh, 
on a shortened season, there's a good chance Alabama could see him again. And might see Georgia again with a different starting quarterback in December with JT Daniels. I might be in the minority here, but I, I actually thought the guy played. Not I like Stetson Bennett. I, I don't. I don't like, think he was awful. Look, the one thing we learned today, yesterday, Saturday, was that Arkansas is a legitimate defensive team. They should be yeah. three and one. They bottled Lane Kiffin up. Uh, so they're a good defense. Don't forget Stetson came in and moved that ball against that defense when the mm-hmm. Max guy couldn't do it. He played well, played solid in his other games. I mean, I just think he had a bad game, uh, especially a bad half against Alabama. So I'm curious. I mean, the guy's starting for a reason. It's a weird story. The guy's basically told he's never going to play. Went to Juco, came back. You're never going to play again. You're fourth in the quarterback room, and then he's starting. So, um, I don't think it's as bad. I mean, I understand why Georgia fans are upset, but I think he's starting for a reason. Look, we don't know for sure. I know there's this narrative, and it's always with the backup quarterback, Alabama, Georgia, wherever, that that guy should be the guy. And whereas we do have a sample size with JT Daniels, certainly as a recruit, highly coveted, reclassified came out actually a year early to go to USC did some nice things in a season plus season and a little bit of change out there in Southern California. But, you know, we still don't know for sure if this guy's JT Elway, like he's kind of being presented now, but I'm with you. And look, here's the thing. Um, you know, if, if you're going to put Stetson Bennett in a position of having to throw the football 40 times, that's not his game. That shouldn't be George's game. George's game should still be first and foremost running the football. And their backs combined for 23 carries in the game. They had to have more than that from the run game and those backs if they were going to win here uh, in Tuscaloosa, I thought, Tim. And, you know, give the Alabama defense credit. Um, you know, statistically, it, it wasn't, again, a pretty night. But you know, did what you have to do in today's era of football, and that's take the ball away and get a few other stops mixed in. I felt, I felt like they got more pressure. I think like yeah. they, they pressured the ball. They were better in zone. Obviously gave up, uh, you know, got gashed a few times. I'm not sure Christian Harris should be lined up with James Cook, who's a legit 4-4 guy, Dalvin Cook's brother. Um, that doesn't seem like a that, that should have happened. And then you look at a, a few missed assignments, but, I mean – College offenses are confusing. Alabama's got to button that up and, and get those guys a little bit on the same page. But to get that win, and you know, going back to JT Daniels, when he decided to transfer, don't forget, he decided to transfer because he wasn't going to win the USC starting job. So he was already. Keaton gonna, Slovis was the guy. Yeah, you're right. He, he, he was leaving because he wasn't going to be the starter. And then I talked to several college coaches that said he's not going to be ready this year. He had another surgery. I don't know if it's February or March, but he had a second surgery after having another one earlier in the year. So he's been out a while, probably not even a hundred percent yet. I think that plays a factor in and, you know, and he has did some good things. I mean, his, his full season at USC was 14 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. So, um, solid got some talent, you know, obviously a talented guy, like you said, five-star, uh, went to, you know, it's not easy to go skip a year, your senior year in high school and go start in college. So the guy's obviously got some talent, but I still think Stetson Bennett's won that job up to this point. Tim, do you also think that Alabama's offense, when it gets production like it did out of Waddle 
and Devontae and Mac and Najee Harris to the extent that it did on Saturday that it puts pressure on opposing offenses because it was a 10 point game. You know, it was a Alabama went on the run there in the third quarter into the fourth quarter, still only a 10 point game and your identity. First and foremost, if you're Georgia is still your offensive line and your running game more so than Stetson Bennett in the passing game. But it just seemed like Todd Monk and the Georgia offensive coordinator felt more than just a little bit of urgency once it got to a 10 point game and uh, felt like he, he needed to try to, you know, get into a, a track meet with this Alabama offense. And that's, that's just not a place really any offense other than maybe Clemson's really wants to be with this team. I think you, I think you've had a couple of big strikes in the first half and you see Alabama and you sort of want to match them, you know, um, and, you know, again, we don't talk about it enough. The, the, the skilled players Alabama's have has, has and has had is just an insane um, collection of talent. I mean, Devonta Smith, Waddle, they make they make catches. It's just unbelievable how how fast they are, uh, route runners they are, how tough they are. I mean, they were dealing with some pretty good defensive backs and left those guys speechless. You know, the Georgia DBs were a lot louder in the first quarter than the third quarter. I know that much. Um, and those guys are good. I mean, Tyson Campbell and and uh, certainly going to be a pro. And the Stevenson kids, certainly, you know, that's a five-star kid from Miami. Very talented group. So sort of take it for granted. But offensively, I don't think there's a lot to complain about. I mean, they got pressure on Mac. He, he's a little bit of a slow start. But, again, the guy stood in there, took some licks, made some throws. The receivers helped him out. And you can't talk enough about Devonta coming back to help help his quarterback. I mean, Total that's, pro. That's, yeah. And not only that, that guy, when you watch him run routes, and it was this way last year, and that's with Judy Elite. and Rupp, yeah. he absolutely is not guardable. He's sort of like, to me, like Calvin Ridley, to me, was just an unbelievable route runner. He still is in the NFL. This guy's physically more gifted than Calvin and just as good of a route runner. So, um, you know, big effort there, big effort. Thought the defensive line did a really good job of slapping some balls down, and I think that that certainly helped uh, – Help the defense. So saw J- uh, Jabril Jabril Burrows in there in the second half. Were you a little bit surprised to see the big man, the true freshman? You I know I, LeBron Ray was out, but I liked him last yeah, year. Yeah, you did. You did. He's a big dancing bear. That guy. No, from a depth standpoint, I'm not. He might not be ready to come in to start. Um, the thing I like about him is he's a big old body and he's quick. Uh, and he's going to move the pile. And if you're trying to hold that offensive line in place, I mean, you start bringing in guys like him and uh, Timmy Smith. I mean, those are 300-pound guys that are they're, – they're probably not as strong as the offensive linemen they're facing, obviously. Those Georgia kids have been in that program for a while. But they're quick and fast and going to cause a little bit of a problem. And they give your big guys – you know, your other guys a rest. We saw – uh, DJ Dale, kind of, you know, looking like Rocky in the 13th round. If you <laughs> that field, I mean, that dude, he stayed in there, battled hard, real, you know, real hard all night. So those guys got have to get a break, and I think that's a good sign um, to see those guys let them play in, like Christian Barmore, let them play themselves into shape. You know, it was it was probably more of a Jamil Burroughs night at 6'2", 323 than, say, a Federian Mathis night trying to play inside um, because that Georgia offensive line is similar to Alabama's massive, able to move you out. The first and goal at the Alabama 10 there, uh, I guess that was in the 
that may have been the first quarter where on first and 10, Georgia just doubled Fedarian Mathis and blew a hole off that right side that Zamir White was able to walk right into the end zone off of. Yeah, it was a big man night there inside, and that's where Burroughs could certainly fit a bill uh, moving forward. You know, the secondary did a good job. You know, the Burton kid, number seven, he was committed to LSU till late in the process, but they did a good job on Pickens because Pickens is a game changer too as far as, mm-hmm. you know, he's not the fastest guy. I mean, he didn't run well when he was at Alabama's camp two years in a row, but the guy's catch radius is absurd. And when he gets going, he's going like a lot of those stretch guys. So Alabama did a good job of staying in his hip pocket and limited him. And also he's one of the emotional guys that, you know, that they feed off of. So I think Alabama did a really good job there also. Yeah, getting Jordan Battle back in the second half was a good thing. But give Daniel Wright credit, man. This is a guy who has certainly taken his lumps probably more as a tackler than anything else. But he comes up with a huge takeaway. And, you know, we continue to see Malachi Moore grow up right before our eyes. And I guess that was a guy, when you talk about so much crossover on the recruiting trail between these two teams, Alabama and Georgia, that was the case with Malachi Moore, too, wasn't it? Now, that's more Brian Branch, a little bit. I mean, you look, you know, the parallels between these two teams are crazy. You got, you know, Pickens, you know, Pickens is a guy that could have went to Alabama, committed to Auburn. We thought he was going to Tennessee and ended up at Georgia. Jamil Burroughs is a guy that was actually committed to Georgia, uh, had a coaching change, got out of shape, you know, sort of, you know, to me, it sort of sounded like they agreed to part ways. They didn't drop him. But one of those, you know, maybe we're both better somewhere else. Well, the guy worked himself back into shape. His senior film's fantastic. Um, of course, we know all the all the quarterback drama that's went on in there. So there's been definitely Monty Rice, heck of a heck of a linebacker, plays with a huge chip on his shoulder because Alabama didn't offer him. Huntsville, yeah, yeah that's a really good kid. You know what? Three star kid. Industry missed on him. A lot of college coaches missed on him. Uh, plays with the chip on his shoulder. I think he's a little banged up. We didn't really hear his name as much this weekend, but a hell of a football player. So, yeah, there's a lot lot of crossover. It's weird because Alabama and Georgia, uh, they really don't go head-to-head like battle that much. You know what I'm saying? I always say the same thing about Auburn. But there are a lot of parallels that cross over between there besides the Kirby-Saban connection. Nicobe Dean at inside linebacker. Kobe, yeah. For Georgia, saw him Saturday night, and uh, you know, I, I think when we talk about Alabama's big four, Tim, and 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 that's Mac, Najee Harris, Devonte, and Jalen Waddle. If if you have a, a list, I wrote this after the game Saturday night. If you have a top ten of Heisman candidates, I think Alabama legitimately could have four on that list of ten, maybe four of eight. Uh, if you talk about the, those type of awards, which we know the Heisman is more about you know, skill position, primarily quarterback. Right. But, uh, you know, again, on a night when Alabama gets that kind of production out of those four guys, uh, good luck. Good luck beating that team. And so, Tim, we look ahead to another Alabama disciple, another Nick Saban disciple, and Jeremy Pruitt. And hasn't been the two weeks here that I'm sure Jeremy envisioned. Maybe you lose. You kind of anticipate that that was a realistic possibility, losing on the road at Georgia uh, two weekends ago. But to come home 
on Saturday and lay that kind of egg against Kentucky, a team that hadn't won in Knoxville since 1984. Uh, and then we hear Jeremy uh, apparently on Sunday lets Jer- uh, Jimmy Brumball, his defensive line coach, go. Um, what kind of situation do you think Alabama's walking into this week? You know, pretty good one. You know, they Tennessee Alabama's rivalry is obviously different. You know, the thing about it is with this SEC schedule, you really didn't get a lot of breaks. I mean, Kirby, you know, I mentioned it earlier. Kirby Smart's just now able to take his first break breath in a month. You know, takes a breath after those three, and then Pruitt. You know, it's the worst kind of thing. You look at a game. And we've seen this with Alabama. It's almost always like a LSU sandwich Auburn situation. You know, we've seen that a lot. You know, it's usually somebody like Georgia Southern, which is scary enough to, to, you know, you have to watch out for the trap. Alabama's always been good enough to hold that team off. But if you go from a Georgia game where you're that emotional in the game for a half, obviously Tennessee's defense has had had played. And I still think Tennessee's got a good defense. Henry Toa Toa is perhaps the best linebacker I've seen all year, tremendous player. Derek Ansley knows what he's doing. Um, That game, you know, just like Georgia in the second half, that Tennessee game in the first half against Kentucky was all about, you know, Tennessee's offense. I mean, the Tennessee quarterback throws two pick six, end up with three. Backup quarterback comes in and throws one. They're down 17 to nothing before they get to halftime. They took the ball. Drove it down the field before halftime, ran it, ran it straight down their throat. So I thought it was actually going to be a closer game because Kentucky doesn't have a strong offense. They're not very good. In fact, the week before against Mississippi State, what they beat them twenty-four to two. Yeah, they're like, a grind. They're a, they're a grinded out run had, game offense. They had like one hundred and fifty yards in that game. Beat them twenty-four to two. I think they had a couple. I know they had a couple of touchdowns or big turnovers that led to touchdowns. So I was just surprised the second half of Tennessee. They looked flat. They looked out of it. Um, obviously not in a good place. And like you said, Brumbaugh was let go. Last year they had Rocker and Rump, I believe, on the defense. Yeah, they did. So um, I think Rocker, most- Rocker's at South Carolina now. Rump moved on to the Houston Texans. Mm-hmm. So, so Jeremy's had to deal with some turnover on that staff a little bit here in the last year. Yeah, you know, you get a first-year coach, you, you know, you're trying to find – people that can, you know, that understand what you're trying to do. It doesn't always work out. You know, I think there's some growing pains going on. There's a lot of pressure to be at Tennessee. They really, you know, they've obviously, well, they went eight in a row. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. pressure Tennessee that he's the, he's the next one. And, and to be honest, Tennessee just does not, just does not have the talent of an Alabama or Georgia. And that's not a slight on Tennessee because not many teams do. Yeah. Ohio State. There's only a handful of teams that have Georgia, Alabama type talent. So Tennessee's still playing catch up there on the recruiting trail. And, um, you know, they got their work cut out for them this week. You can't, and you can no longer, Tim, sort of hide mediocre to subpar quarterback play. That's what you see maybe some of in Tennessee and Georgia. Kind of made this comparison in the past to 2008, 2009. Alabama, not that John Parker Wilson and Greg McElroy weren't really good uh, college quarterbacks. They just weren't asked to do what quarterbacks today are being asked to do. And so if you if you try to make a Jared Guarantano or a Stetson Bennett do some things that you're uh, seeing Trevor Lawrence do or the production that you see from Alabama here the last couple of three years, 
uh, in the passing game, it, it can be a tough situation. And you're right. There was so much juice with this Tennessee program, the win streak to end last season, a couple more to open this campaign and Jeremy in the spring in the virtual cycle that we've called this one, uh, a lot of momentum on the recruiting trail. And, and maybe at this point at two and two, not that you're going to give up on a season, but if I'm Jeremy Pruitt right now, first and foremost, Tim, I'm thinking about keeping this class together with the way things are going right now. And not only that, I guess, trying to build on it. No. Yeah. I mean, they have a top 10 class. It's, it's, it's uh, I thought last year's class. I thought they really close to signing day. I went through all their commitments. I thought they did a great job as a staff evaluating. Um, I don't think it's an ideal situation. They got the highly touted kid from Georgia, another Georgia connection, Harrison Bailey, um, Freshman, I mean, I, to me, at some point, I think you make that switch and you just deal with the freshman blues, uh, the good and bad that comes with it because the kid's got a, got a lot of talent. Let them learn on the fly. I mean, obviously, it's not an ideal situation to uh, have your third team, probably third team reps, have him jump in this week against Alabama. I probably wouldn't do that. But after this, they have a bye week. Probably could implement, implement him a little bit more. I mean, number two's really been a problem. Um, for Tennessee. I mean, you remember last year, I mean, they had an off-tackle play called. He goes over to the top of the <laughs> like Drew Brees. I look up and Trey Diggs is running a four two nine. Oh, yeah, Jeremy was- got some face mask after that one. He got oh. a little face mask on on uh, JG over there on the sideline, as you recall. Yeah, that's just a bad, it's a bad decision. If you go back and watch the breakdown of that play, that kid went solo when they obviously went had- rogue. Yeah. yeah, he did. He He did. So I think at some point, you know, uh, you know, Tennessee fans aren't going to be happy losing to you know losing to Georgia in Athens, top five team, losing to Alabama in in Knoxville, a top five team. Those are acceptable still. I think Tennessee fans want to win win that. But I mean, when you sandwich in the Kentucky loss, uh, it's like a seventeen year win streak or something. I mean, it's yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a bad week in Knoxville. I mean, I was hearing a lot of it last night from uh, friends and, and seeing it from 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 friends that are Tennessee fans. So it's going to be a it's going to be a bad week. A lot of a lot of drama leading up to the game, which no hey, that's par for the course. I mean, you saw this week we had Nick Saban in, you know, I'll I, I tell you the highlight of my week was Here. watching the point spread, seeing what Nick Saban was worth. I was always been curious. What is a head coach worth? You see that? I mean, Alabama was started out at like four. They were up to like six, I think, uh, in the book mm-hmm. I follow. I look up, Nick Saban's out there back down to four, so he's worth two points. You know, and he comes <laughs> back and back to five and a half. So I'm like, you know, head coach worth two points. That makes sense. Yeah, that, that was interesting. And uh, then we find out, you know, we're anticipating Nick Saban's status for the game Saturday. Then we find out it's Dan Mullen of Florida that's actually positive now for COVID-19. <laughs> I knew Dan probably had it when he was ready to let 110 in there. Fill up. Oh, yeah. It, the COVID karma was coming, bro, at that point. When yeah. Dan when yeah. Dan went off post-game against Texas A&M, you're like, oh, yeah, that guy's positive coming up. Yeah, here. that guy's like, let him in if they have COVID. I'm good. Oh, yeah, I got it. Okay, I'm still coach. That's what I said. Oh, man. Oh. Not, to, not to make too much light of it because we understand it's a very serious situation. We hope nothing but the best oh, for Dan Mullen and anyone out there. Uh, personally, I, I, I know we've dealt with it, and so it's 
not a laughing matter, but I, no, I, I'm not a big superstition or karma guy, but there are those occasions, Tim, when I hear or see something that makes me go, well, it might be in play here. Yeah. And that was one of them. I am the karma superstitious king. Are you? Oh my God. Yeah. From years of playing baseball, yeah. if you've never sat in an uncomfortable position for three and a half innings, cause y'all started a rally <laughs> and you're a freshman watching the varsity and you're just keeping the book cause they made you. And you're yeah. right. No, but you're scared to move. Yeah. Yeah. See, that, you're not superstitious. I am. I am totally not. Don't talk to a pitcher during a no hitter guy. <laughs> Uh, I just think it's all a crock, man. Now, look, I used to be superstition guy, and then I graduated to the shower, Tim. You know, I, I think I was eight when I switched from superstition guy. But there's a ton of folks out there. I'm in the minority. I readily admit that. But I am, I'm the opposite of that, man. I'm like, just get it done. Don't tell me about, you know, Joe Boo and all this stuff. Just get it done, all right? I just think that, like, you know, there's mentally, you know, I think that you can uh, – you can you can psych yourself. Oh yeah, that's probably sure. a little bit of OCD. I mean, I'm big on wearing the same stuff. Uh, it doesn't always work out. I, you know, your team would be undefeated though. But I, oh, I, I do that. It's just because I'm too crazy to wash it. Yeah, there's I'm, I'm, Brave series. I had friends texting like, "Wow, so and so's doing great." <laughs> like, man, it's ending in a third. <laughs> what in the hell is wrong with you? Look. Oh gosh, I was hoping oh, you weren't going to bring the Braves up. Joker, why are you telling me how great he is? Why did you have to invoke our Braves, man? After that Game Seven loss, that was so Braves, right? Game I mean, Seven, fuck. lose I mean, by a run, give up a couple of bombs there down the the back half of Game Seven. Hell of a hell of a season though, short season for the Braves. Now look, you talk about a young team that still has it all in front of it. That's the Braves, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, think about, you know, with Atlanta, you watch. I mean, they were they lost, you know, they were at one point 12 outs away from going to the World Series. They had not played particularly smart baseball. Ozuna's tag up. I mean, they yell at you at a nine year old baseball game for that. They scream at their children. You're not my favorite son. I wish you were (laughs) a daughter. I told your mom we should stop at two when they tag up and do that crap. Oh, we're going to get a paternal test. All those things. But yeah, you can't be none of mine. Go see your mom. Get your son. He's terrible. We're having another child. This one's broke. Oh, gosh. And then he's grinning in the dugout. I mean, there's a fine line between being loose and a clown. Mix it up. Mix it up, Tim. Mix it up. I think they hit a little bit into the clown area. Ozzy's play at first was embarrassing. Last night's double play, sweet lordy. It's like, I mean. Well, I mean, if you're a longtime Braves fan. What is Austin doing? Austin's in a rundown between second and third when they've got Dansby in a rundown between third and home. What is Austin doing? Yeah. He's that's to- that's what the Braves do in the postseason. I mean, if you're old enough, you remember yes. Lonnie in the, in the postseason, Skates. Yes. Well, I'll tell you this. The Braves have three guys that can – be in the Dodgers lineup, probably Ozzy, Acuna, and Freddie. The Dodgers at one point seven, eight, nine were five of nine uh, batting. They probably could have been the four, five, six for the Braves. Yeah, they can it, hit. That is not. That was not a. That was Seager, not, Bellinger. Good lord, man. No, dude, it's unbelievable. They're bringing guys off the bench. You know, like yeah. he to hit Hernandez ball. hit the bomb. I had a kid named Gavin Lux, a young guy that's. 
probably top four or five in the Braves lineup somewhere on the field who can't even get on the field because they're so loaded. So I think the Braves have a lot to be excited about. They miss Fulte, who uh, just, you know, collapsed. They had Cole Hamels, who retired and didn't tell them. And then they had a Soroka injury. So there's a lot to like, but I think the Braves management's going to have to they're going to have to make some moves. I mean, Azuna's a free agent. I mean, if you lose him, your lineup looks a little bit different right out of the gate. Yeah, that especially if you're going to keep the universal DH uh, to have that right-handed power for I mean, him. He's 29 years old. This isn't a Josh Donaldson situation. Uh Josh Donaldson, by the way, the Braves let him go. A lot of Braves fans were upset, but if you look, he barely even played this year, didn't even make the playoff roster, and they're married to him three more years, so the Braves made a smart move there, plus got the better player. But Azuna's 29, like you said, if they keep the DH, you add him. Um, the center fielder, Pache, is that how you say his name? I think that's it, yeah. Oh, I mean, that you know, the one thing that was irritating to me to watch him in the playoffs get his learning experience at the plate when he had a whole season, he probably should have been up getting those those cuts in, you know. Mm-hmm. You walk mm-hmm. fly there like, hey, you're starting against Walker Bueller, you know. Get play, some. We got to win. So uh, I don't think Braves fans in hindsight are surprised they lost to the Dodgers. They're certainly more talented team, but to get up three to one to be dangerously close to the World Series. And I I just can't imagine how excited the networks were going to be to get that Braves raise. Oof. (laughs) Series. Because we got for borderline Astro Dodgers. That would have been the Fox Sports South Series, basically, is what that would have been. Talk about regional. Everybody who wasn't a Braves or Ray fan absolutely, I think, wanted the Astros Dodgers. They wanted to see what Kelly was going to do and who he's going to hit. (laughs) <laughs> and all that stuff. So, anyway, it's good baseball season. Yeah, it was fun. And uh, we're going to continue the fun right here on the Bama Online podcast coming up next. Some recruiting talk, a big Sunday coming up in the state of Alabama, nationally as well. When you talk about Jaquincy McKinstry, the five star cornerback from Pinson Valley High School, set to make his commitment known. We'll talk with Tim Watts, site publisher for us there at BamaOnline.com about that and a whole lot more when the Bama Online podcast returns right after this. Back with more of the BamaOnline.com podcast. Travis Ryder, senior analyst, joined by site publisher Tim Watts. The Early stages of the week following Alabama's 41-24 to win over the Georgia Bulldogs at Bryant-Denny Stadium. We've reviewed that for you. We've previewed a little bit where Tennessee is concerned coming up this week. We've even talked some Atlanta Braves baseball. We gave you some retrospective of the Alabama-Georgia game from a recruiting standpoint as well. And speaking of recruiting, Tim doesn't get much bigger than what's going to go down this Sunday over in the Birmingham area. Jaquincy Kool-Aid McKinstry set to announce. Kind of give us an overview of how this thing has played out uh, with it appearing as if, I guess, that we're down to three finalists at this point. Yeah, you know, with Kool-Aid McKinstry, it's been, I really think you would have seen a lot more drama you know because we always say follow the visits i don't listen to what these kids say anymore and i sure don't try to interpret their social media um to figure out what they mean so you really just follow the visits well when this was shut down 
the world was shut down. You really couldn't follow his visits, but otherwise I think you'd have seen him popping up at, 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 at other games and stuff like that. But yeah, I narrowed it down to Alabama, Auburn, LSU. Uh, those three were always going to be a heavy, heavy factor in his recruitment. I mean, the five-star guys, top 20 in the country, uh, think the composite has him 24th. Yeah, they do. And the number one cornerback in the nation. So big deal in several areas, at least from the Alabama standpoint. One, he's a talented kid. Two, he's a defensive back, which they really don't have um, that high-profile guy in this class just yet. They've got some good ones. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of Devonta Smith. I'm a big fan of, of Kyrie Jackson. I think both of those guys are good football players and going to help Alabama. But they don't have that big, you know, that that presence that Kool-Aid does with the the cool nickname, the kid's a freaky type athlete in some way. Prime time like, yeah. He does. He does that. Had a pick six this past weekend. Um, also, he's in the state. DB, Nick Saban's a DB guy. Uh, Carl Scott's recruiting him. Alabama's, you know, ace recruiter, one of the one of the best on the staff. So a lot of pressure there. Auburn's went the same way. You know, you had a lot of people telling him he could play basketball in college on top of football. That rarely happens. I mean, I think it's possible I mean, you and I over the years have seen some two-way players. It seems to be mostly those big guys, Julius Peppers, you know, Tony Gonzalez. Yeah, those yeah. big guys. You know, and the thing about them is they just—they're just big guys going in there boxing out, which is basically blocking somebody and grabbing a rebound. It's not like they're skilled guys. They're not shooting three playing on the ball. Yeah, they're not three hundred jump shots a day. They're not, you know, working on their handle. Kool-Aid definitely could come in and fill, fill a lane, you know, on a fast break and stuff like that and defend. But I think football's in his future. And I think usually these guys pick a side, which I expect him to do. Um, but yeah, Alabama's in it heavy. Auburn's in it. I think those are the top two LSU's remained in it. Uh, there was a lot of glow. There was a ton of glow from LSU from that season last year and deservingly. So probably the best college team I've ever seen. Um, uh, Talent-wise, so many guys in the NFL, high-profile guys, you know, and then to see them this year, what are they wanting to? Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you that. This, you know, and then Auburn loses on the road at South Carolina. Auburn should be one and three right now. Absolutely. I mean, stole a win against Arkansas. You've Absolutely. got the struggles at LSU. Do, do you think in McKinstry's case this helps Alabama, or is it not really that much of a factor? Sort of the trending of these teams right now. I think it does. I mean, I think it does. I mean, I can't hurt. Yeah, and absolutely. That's a good way to put it. Alabama's been a staple in most of these kids' lives for the last 10 years. When you watch football, there's only been so many programs that have been good the last decade. Uh, Alabama's certainly one of them. LSU's been up and down, uh, had all the attention last year, won all the awards, all the media in their wisdom overlooked the 32 people they lost, I believe, the two coaches that left. And still had them top five, which was very naive. Um, and I think a lot of us said, you know, this isn't a high school football ranking where you just flip the rankings from the year before. So LSU's in trouble. I mean, though, though, that Missouri game, I watched it. Uh, Missouri beat them. I mean, there's no doubt. There wasn't a fluke. In fact, the turnover what battle was three to nothing, I believe, in uh, Missouri having three turnovers. So that wasn't a fluke. Uh, hard to explain the Mike Leach loss, considering they haven't scored since the, they left Baton Rouge barely. Um, so definitely they're hurting. I mean, Coach O's a good recruiter. LSU's a good program. And they'll certainly get their share of guys. Uh, but that luster 
because they had all the shine. You know, everybody in the country was talking about them, including me. They've still got a top five class. They'll be fine. But some of the guys looking at them then probably aren't looking at them. If you only liked them based off last year's season, you're probably not still looking at LSU as hard as you were. But if you liked them before the season, you're probably still looking at LSU just as hard. With that said, I think LSU's on the outside looking in, and it's an Alabama-Auburn battle. Kids kept it quiet. Um, you know, been a little misdirection. I think back in April, uh, roughly, he was close to coming to Alabama. There was a lot of talk in June. He was a heavy Auburn lean. And right now, I think Alabama's probably trending. Still Monday. It's too early for me to make my call. I'll probably do it closer to the weekend like I always do. But I think Alabama's trending in the right direction for him right now. And numbers are at least to the novice, right, which I probably qualify more of these days as anything else. Numbers getting tight. So from a positional standpoint, I guess his spot is still one that Alabama is looking to work. And you know, maybe, I guess, a defensive end or two, maybe a wide receiver. How does it set up right now from that perspective, Tim, when you talk about remaining slots for this class in general? Yeah, and let me tell you, I love this class. I said this about last year's class on paper. I thought it was going to rival the 2017 and the 20, 2008 group with uh, Julio. 2017 was Judy, two and all them. On paper, last year was fantastic head to toe. I feel pretty similar about this year. They've got, uh, you know, when you look, you know, I pull up the rankings, and you look at the bottom five guys that, that Alabama has committed, bottom six really, is when you're looking at Robbie Oots, who I think is the perfect tight end for Alabama. He's athletic, plays in a run-oriented offense, doesn't have to show, but he's a big kid who loves to block as a tight end Alabama needs. Anquan Barnes, six foot five, three hundred pounds, can't teach that size. He can play on either side of the ball. Kyrie Jackson, absolutely, is one of the best. I mean, he's the best junior college defensive back I've seen on film. Long, athletic, yeah. We, you know, you and I have heard a million times he's a 6'2", he's a 6'3", DB. They always end up at free safety. This guy's definitely going to end up at cornerback, uh, given the chance. Devonta Smith, the cornerback who was uh, uh, committed to Ohio State. So what I'm saying is this class is really good head-to-toe, so there's not a lot of needs left. Cornerback is a need. Uh, they'd like to have one more guy for sure. You're looking at, obviously – Kool-Aid's a guy they like to have. They're still recruiting a guy like Terry and Arnold from Florida, big time guy who could be a safety or a cornerback. That that's a guy. That's a guy that, that's a good basketball player. Now, that guy's a legitimate basketball player, legitimate athlete too, can play wide receiver. So you see DB still a priority. When it comes to other positions, wide receiver, uh, you mentioned, I think it's gotta be a guy they just he's too good to pass up, like a Brian Thomas. They'll be extremely picky for the most part. Because uh, they can be. They've got guys they want. They're not in a rush. They want to hold on to what they've got. They got big Tim Keenan. A lot of Alabama fans were a little skeptical about him. But dude, this guy is a monster. I mean, he's not tall, but he's 6'1 and a half, 6'2, 330 pounds. He's quick off the ball. Do not get under center high school coaches against this guy. He's going to kill somebody. Um, he's so quick and so powerful, but you see how important holding that point of attack's been for Alabama. Mm-hmm. This guy's a, is a good commitment, and y'all always said nose guards are hardly ever drafted high. Every now and then, there's a uh, what's the big boy's name, Gilbert. 
for uh, the Packers. Yeah, the big nose tackle. Um, the grave digger. Yeah. You always do the grave digger celebration. Every that, yeah, every now and then there's that guy that goes high, but for the most part you see him second, third, fourth round because they're an acquired taste. Same for college. College coaches that, that need that point, that zero technique, they love these guys. You run a four three, you don't care so much. So Tim King's a big one. So this class is set up as well as it could get. And I'm never gonna forget Deontay Lawson sitting there in March. Hello? <laughs> Hello. What and the I, Lonely Hearts Club. Am I early at this party? Yeah. Yeah. Bueller. <laughs> Bueller. Nick. Uh, he was so he was social distancing before social distancing was cool, Tim. Yeah. Deontay yeah. Lawson. Yes, he's. I'm showing y'all how to do it. Yes. Uh, this exactly. Class really picked up from there. You look at the top the offensive lineman highlighted. I mean. We waited a year, over a year, to see Tommy Brockermeyer. Kid's insanely talented. One of the best technicians I've seen for the offensive tackle. J.C. Latham's another tackle. He's raw, but he's a dancing bear. So this class is really, really good, really complete. So they can pick and choose coming down the stretch. I mean, and the thing about it is, you know, everybody's asking, like, who's Alabama going to get? They're involved with some really, really heavy big-name guys. No doubt about it. We're not even mentioning the kid. I'm JTT, the California. JT Tuamalo, the yeah. defensive lineman from uh, out in the state of Washington. Been Shamar waiting. Turner. You've yeah. been waiting to drop that on my head, haven't you? <laughs> JTT. Go show me up. And I think, uh, instead of JPP, JTT. Yeah, yeah I love that show. But anyways, uh, they're battling for these guys. I wouldn't say they're a lot for most of them, but they're in that battle, which is all you can ask. Brian Thomas. You know, he's a, you know, he's a top five or 10 wide receiver in the country. And you look at uh, JTT, obviously maybe the number one player in the country, battling Ohio State, some other guys there. So Mason Smith, you know, Sage Ryan, guys in Louisiana. And don't forget, like you said, Shamar Turner in Texas. Tim uh, Meese, Adelaide. Yeah, Adelaide, he's another one. So they've got a lot of guys on their board. Uh, Xavier Sorry, who we haven't even mentioned, he's a, you know, he's a highly ranked guy, linebacker. So They've got a lot of top targets left, so they're going to be – the hits will be big and the misses will be big because they will be big-name guys. And like I said, Alabama is going to have to turn down. Um, we had a thread this week on the roundtable, and we were talking about, you know, the guys were saying, I hate Alabama passed on player X. But most of the time it was just a room situation. It's not like Alabama didn't think uh, a lot of those guys they, they passed on wasn't good. They just didn't have room. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun to watch down the stretch here, no doubt about it. Something else that's been pretty fun to watch here in the last week or so is the work of Nate Oates and his staff on the men's basketball recruiting trail, Tim. And we saw it once again on Sunday. Langston Wilson, the number two overall junior college prospect, according to the twenty four seven Sports Composite rankings, announces his commitment to Alabama. He joins Jason Holt, J.D. Davison here in the last week or two in helping to uh, sort of form this 2021 class that, look, when you still consider who this staff is involved with in terms of top 25 nationally ranked players, Charles Bediaco, I guess, chief among those, the big center from IMG, uh, the ceiling looks to be pretty high in terms of a nationally ranked class and certainly one that ranks among the very best in the SEC. Where, what's, what's, what's realistic 
for this class at this point is is it moves down the stretch as well. Look, I think if Alabama didn't sign another player, rankings be down. I think this is a top ten class easy. I mean, when you wow. look at when you look at a, when you look at JD Davidson. I mean, yeah. a point guard. I mean, this guy. You know, we talk about the guys. Not only a talented player, but it. He's got that beautiful flow of hair. He's a dynamic, incredible athlete. I keep waiting for people to start asking me, can he be a defensive back, linebacker, or whatever? Yes, he probably could, but this is an athletic, big, thick, solid, muscular kid uh, with handle, great out, 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 outside shot, top 10 national player. You get to Jason Holt. I mean, I wouldn't throw this around loosely, but he's sort of like a poor man Scotty Pippen. When you look at that six foot six range, mm-hmm. Decent handle, good defender, beautiful, best shot. I haven't I haven't scouted every basketball player. Obviously, I'm not covering hoops anymore, but I still look at a fair amount of them. Holt's got a beautiful shot. It's a, it's as pretty and fundamentally sound as you can want. Small forward is going to come in. You know, won't have to be rushed right away. Can work his way in, get stronger. And then you got this Langston Wilson guy who's a freak. Uh, his YouTube videos. This guy is is. I mean, I don't. He's listed at 6'9". He looks like he's seven foot to me. He is long. Long arms, jumping jack. You know, it's not, not going to be as polished. You know, you read a story. Uh, I think you read the story about him not really playing in high school, had a medical condition, and he's going to be raw. He's not going to be as polished. This guy's going to block shots. This guy's going to run the floor. This guy's going to be a threat on the offensive and defensive end on the boards. So you look at you got you got help on the perimeter. You got help on the ball. And you got help in the paint. So these three alone are an excellent class. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a good class. But then when you start looking, like you said, at at five star Charles Bediaco, you know, this is a big kid, slim kid, almost seven foot. He's going to need to put on weight. It's not uncommon for a kid, eighteen years old, seven foot. But he's you know he's long. Another guy's going to block shots. He can play in the post. Alabama's battling there. There's a lot of people think that think Alabama's going to get him. I think Alabama's in good shape. I'm not ready to ready to call him the leader yet, but I think Alabama's in good shape. And another kid, Caleb Houston from Mount Verde Academy, is another five star they're involved with. He's ranked one spot ahead of uh, JD at number nine in the country. And there's a lot of talk that Alabama's really deep there, and it could come down to an Alabama Virginia battle. And I mean, Virginia, you know, they do a good job. It's definitely a good program, but they play at a lot different pace than Nate Oates does. Yeah. When it come down to what that kid wants and, and, you know, you can't say enough about uh, Antoine Petway, tremendous job with J.D. Davison. I can't tell you how hard that battle probably was for him. You go back and you look at Pat, he's been here a staple through three programs, Played at Alabama, walk on, you know, he's like, you know, he really would be a great story one day. You got a walk on kid, you know, game winner against Florida to win their last SEC championship. Uh, survives three staffs and is really one of the best recruiters in the country. First guy to offer J.D. Davison. I talked to somebody close to J.D. and they said, uh, when I asked him about his relationship with Petway, they said Petway was here when nobody else was here. So I think that played a big part, him getting on him early. And then, of course, you got, you know, Brian Hogson, who basically signed most of the class last year. Tremendous job. And Charlie Henry don't get enough credit, but I know he helps out a lot. And then you got the head guy, Nate Oates, very involved, very similar to Nick Saban. Um, 
you can see them sort of hyping the football side and the football side hypes the basketball side on social media. I think the similarities between recruiting are very similar for the first time between basketball and football. And I wouldn't rule out baseball. I think Bo Hannon's doing a terrific job there. Yeah. And you got Canada, a part of all of them. I mean, baseball, you've got the Canadian influence right now. Uh, football with John Mechie. And, man, what you've been able to do on the recruiting trail with Keon Umbro Silton, Josh Primo, and perhaps now Betty Ako. Uh, it's, it's all about Canada right now here in Tuscaloosa, Tim. Absolutely. We're bringing it. Yes, they, uh, it's been a huge connection. Obviously, they had that when they were up in Buffalo. Uh, just, you know, smart connections, good connections. And there's a lot. I'm really personally excited. Uh, I always like basketball. I know you're the same way. We always like basketball. We want to watch basketball. It's, you know, hasn't been the best every year. It's hard to watch. I guess you can compare Bama basketball recently to the Braves. You know, they'll have a run, then they'll have two injuries. But this team's deep, and I think they're going to play fast. I think there's a lot of talent, and I think there's uh, they're going to be fun to watch. Speaking of fun to watch as we get out of here, Tim, what are you, what are you streaming right now? What's, uh, what's your go-tos? You know, we finished Vikings, which was really good. Um, the kids, you know, we always try to watch a show with the kids, especially like dinner, after dinner, before dinner. The Big Bang Theory, we've never seen one of those. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. The kids die, and uh, they love it. I watched that last season of The Boys which is really good. You ought to give that a shot. I mean, sort of like a rated R comic book type superhero show. Huh. Um, but it's good. It's been good. I mean, we're watching a lot of just normal stuff right now. Really, the sports. There's been so much sports. So I much. Well, yeah. I loved every baseball game. Um, I mean, I was just happy to see the playoffs. I just wanted to hear A-Rod tell everybody how to bunt. Him being the bunt expert, like in the first series with the Braves. <laughs> so how about you? Find anything good on that? Oh, a a rod, uh, a lightning rod. A rod is. Um, you know what? I'm kind of retro guy. I, I I go down those HBO on demand rabbit holes, and I never really got into Treme when it first came out. Of course, based on the the uh, the, the, the post-Katrina uh, situation down there in New Orleans. And so that's what we've been kind of binging. And I like it because there's some carryover in terms of cast members from, say, like The Wire, obviously, uh, to Treme. So you're able to, to do some of that. I like the storylines involved, the different angles, sort of how they make it all intersect at the same time. So... Yeah, Again, I continue to be a little bit more of a retro guy. You know, I've watched The Sopranos three times now, you know, the uh, the, the the entire hey, series. I've got something for you. On my walks every day, I found uh, – uh, actually, Grant Ramey from The Wall site told me about a podcast talking uh, called Talking Sopranos. I'm seen? on it, dude. I'm uh, on it. Yeah, I, Steve Sharippa and uh, Michael Imperioli. Yeah, dude, I'm, on, I'm with you. Real- they are really good. I'm on the episode where they just had AJ. Uh-huh. Um, he popped in. But, dude, I tell you, if any, any fans, you guys are fans of Sopranos. You got it's good. Christopher and Bobby, the, the real actors, are talking. They go over each episode. It's really interesting. 
to see how the casting went, what happened, their breakdown. I just I did have, one I where think, they, they had Janice on as a guest. Yeah, I haven't got that far. I'm on that. Yeah. I think it's seven. Aiden um, Turturro, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's going to be good. They're going. I imagine there's 29 of them. I guess they'll keep going. They're killing it. Yeah. It's a good one. I love Sopranos. I love Treme. You know, we're New Orleans. You know, we love New Orleans. Yeah. I haven't been as much since we've been going to New York City so often before COVID, but uh, that is real New Orleans. Those are all real places. The hackers are really good. I love the on location stuff. So yeah, Treme. Treme's good. Hey, my boy John Goodman just uh, bit the dust. I'm at that point, so that was kind of kind you, of a, a letdown. Here's the thing about John Goodman's story. It's pretty good. We have a family friends who uh, lived in New Orleans. They're back in Birmingham now, but the wife said she was lined up to drop her kids off at school because basically everybody in New Orleans goes to a private school and uh, some form of school. She said that she saw a guy coming up the sidewalk in his robe walking and she locked the doors. <laughs> And as he walked by, she realized it was John Goodman. <laughs> yeah, he's a big New Orleans guy. Or yeah. he has been. Yes, he was just walking in his robe to, you know, go get a coffee or something and walk back to the house. But she's like, lock it up. Like, <laughs> on vacation. Roll him up. And uh, pretty funny it turned out to be uh, John Goodman. Yeah. He's in that great movie. And uh, it's more of Baton Rouge. But it had New Orleans part with uh, – Dennis Quaid about everybody. Everybody's all American. That was Jessica Lane. That is a the galloping ghost, Tim. The Dude, ghost. That that was a great. That was a great movie. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I liked it. Yeah. yeah, Jessica Lane was in there. John Goodman definitely came off as an SEC yeah. lineman. You know, Dennis Quaid is fan. He's a good actor. I don't care what anybody says. He's uh-huh. a uh, he was a great cocky role. I think it was kind of based on the. The, the the life story of Billy Cannon, yes. the former uh, LSU great. Absolutely right. Yeah, I think they said loosely based, but it looked more than loose. <laughs> I read about Billy. It looked, it looked more than loosely. Yeah. <laughs> Billy or his family is what it was. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I think we're just about good here. It's been a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. We've touched yeah. on a lot of topics. Are we good? Yes, we are good. We can talk later in the week, figure some more stuff out, or next week after this Tennessee game, try to get yeah. a breath. Yeah. Wait where Alabama is after the halfway point. I will say I think Alabama's pretty much the team most of us expected them to be. Uh, I still think the defense has got to improve in areas. I think everybody admits that. I do, don't think for a minute. I don't know what happened at Ole Miss. I'm completely blind after watching Arkansas completely dominate Lane Kiffin. Odom Arkansas, just, Arkansas played zone the whole game, Tim. And they, Alabama played man to man. That's I tell you. And and Alabama tried to think and then match up in man to man in a tempo based against a tempo based offense. Uh, and and paid for it. And also here's the thing too. Arkansas offensively is sort of like what Ole Miss is. So Arkansas sees that every day. You know, Alabama offensively is nothing like really a lot of these offenses in terms of the pace, right? So the preparation is tough. And um, I don't know. I, I'm just babbling here. I don't know. What what, what do you think? No, I agree. I mean, I, I do. I agree with you. I mean, Arkansas played zone, you know, and that was sort of when you watched Missouri 
LSU, you saw Bo Pelini and them never really go to zone, and everybody else has went zone against uh, Costello. Yeah, and, let him let him throw it to you. He'll throw you the ball. Like the highlight of this year for me so far was that game and realizing how many people in the South, SEC fans, had never watched Mike Leach. Yeah, because he beat LSU in every. Ah. I, I had a Tennessee board full of saying, "Why didn't we hire him?" Alabama had multiple threads about how great he was. And I was like, he's always been great, including the Cotton Bowl where Bama basically shut him out. Yeah, had 10 points and yeah. didn't score and a touchdown until really late in that one. Alabama yeah. blocked him. So the guy does great things. He's a great character. But he always has that game where he's shut out and, and struggles. And it was naive to think that that Mississippi State team was going to be great. Uh, you know, they, they're not a super talented offensive team. They'll get better. Mike Leach is a, is a yeah, damn they will. coach. But he's also stubborn. Mike Leach won't run the ball against a one-man front. If they drop 10, he's slinging it right into the tip. <laughs> That's what he knows. That's what he's going to do. I admire it. It's almost like watching 10 Cup, you know, trying to, you know, try to get on that. Yeah, got to clear, clear the pond on the par five and two. Yeah, You exactly. admire it, but then back, you know, later on you're like, well, yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, anyways, great show. Appreciate all you round table guys sticking around, behaving in the second half of that Georgia game. I didn't get on the board <laughs> in the first half. I was letting it settle, settle down. But hopefully, this week will be a little bit better, even than last week. Absolutely. As always, we appreciate it, Tim. A lot of fun here on the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the podcast? It's easy. It's free. Anywhere you do your podcasting, you can find the Bama Online Podcast. A subscription would be appreciated, as would a rating and a review while you're there. For Tim Watts, hoping you have a great rest of your week, and certainly keep it locked to BamaOnline.com and the Roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama fans everywhere as we get you ready for the fourth uh, Saturday, I guess, in October, and of course, to Quincy McKinstry and his announcement coming up on Sunday as well. So long, everybody.